Welcome everybody to the inaugural show of HPAC Engineering's first podcast series, HPAC On The Air. My name is Rob McManamy and I'm Editor-in-Chief of HPAC Engineering Magazine, which is now in its 92nd year. Uh, this new monthly online feature aims to bring you even more insight into the news and issues that affect our industry, as well as the opinions of, of trusted thought leaders you've come to know and love uh, in print and online via HPAC Engineering. So with that in mind, HPAC On The Air's first ever guest, appropriately enough, is our most faithful contributor, uh, sustainability consultant, Larry Clark, a member of our editorial advisory board, and since 2013, author of our popular twice monthly sustainability column, Clark's Remarks. So with that, uh, welcome Larry, and uh, please tell our audience, if you would, a little bit more about yourself and, and, and where you're based. Thanks, Rob. And thanks for the opportunity to participate in your first podcast. So I'm the principal of Sustainable Performance Solutions. We're in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and uh, our firm is focused on energy and sustainability consulting. We assist building owners for both existing buildings and new construction with green building certifications like LEED and Green Globes. And we do different types of energy studies and energy audits of varying degrees of complexity. Personally, I've also been involved in community sustainability efforts, and I'm just completing a six-year term on the City of Fort Lauderdale Sustainability Advisory Board. Okay, well, certainly you're, you're plugged into this community, uh, Larry, so I appreciate your time here, and um, uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, to get started um, in this, this area, this certainly has been a wild time for the global sustainability industry, especially now that the U.S. has... Uh, has rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement and seems uh, determined to lead again in this area. Um, so given your decades of experience, uh, what, what do you anticipate will be the most noticeable effects on our industry of this policy reset at the federal level and, and, uh, and beyond moving forward? Well, that's certainly a question being asked by many right now, Rob. Looking back to 2016, when the U.S. initially joined the Paris Accord, at that time, the Obama administration set long-term goals for reducing greenhouse gas emissions to 80% of the 2005 levels by 2050. Unfortunately, at the time, most experts predicted that we would fall short of that goal since there was a lot of pushback from industry in general. Uh, manufacturers argued that more restrictions on fossil fuel emissions would increase their cost of production and increases in production costs would result in the closing of manufacturers and the loss of the jobs associated with those manufacturers. What they didn't account for, however, uh, was the offsetting job gains and GDP growth that would be associated with the emerging clean technologies. According to a 2018 report by the Global Commission on the Economy and Climate, that green transition could create $26 trillion in benefits across the global economy by 2030. So I think in terms of the effect on US industry, the jury's out and a lot of it will depend on how the manufacturers in our country choose to respond. Now you did say trillion, $26 trillion, Larry? With 26 trillion with a T. And that is, uh, wow, wait, okay. Well, that would be uh, certainly promising and, and, uh, and hopeful in, in many areas. Right, now of course that's global economy, not right. just the US. Right. Well, hopefully we'll have more than a few T's here as well, I guess, in that, uh, in that time frame. 
Um, now, speak for a moment, if you would, about uh, something that happened over the holidays uh, that, that uh, some folks may have missed. Um, now, as you wrote at, at our website, hpac.com, in, in your Clark's Remarks uh, column, I think it was either the first column of this year or, or the last column of last year, um, the, uh, the Congress, after 15 years, uh, had finally made Section 179D, uh, that, that exemption for commercial buildings, permanent. Uh, could you briefly uh, just remind our audience uh, why that was such a big deal? Yeah, I'd like to. The, um, the original 179D tax benefit came from the Energy Policy Act of 2005, like you said, 15 years ago, almost 16 now. Right, right. Uh, that benefit is actually contained in Section 179D of the Internal Revenue Code. Um, and it's usually referred to just as 179D. That allows the owners of commercial buildings to claim a tax deduction for installing renewable energy and or qualifying energy savings systems and equipment. Since its inception, that provision has expired and been renewed numerous times. And it's created a lot of uncertainty among both building owners and the practitioners like us who are actually engaged in the process. So the change made in the year end bill um, made 179D permanent. It also added an inflation adjustment and it provided for updates to the ASHRAE standard that's actually referenced in the code. Uh, there's a new update since those changes were enacted. Another bill known as the Green Act has just recently been reintroduced by House Ways and Means Select Revenue Subcommittee Chairman Mike Thompson. That bill, if it passes, would increase the maximum amount of the deduction from $1.80 per square foot to $3 per square foot with the partial deduction, which is now 60 cents a square foot, increasing to $1 a square foot. It would also lift the once uh, a lifetime use of 179D and replace it with a once every three year limit. It would reduce the energy efficiency threshold from 50% to 30% above the reference ASHRAE standard. And it would remove the interim lighting rules that have been in effect since the beginning. What, what's the, uh, uh, the new legislation that, that you uh, uh, mentioned that the other congressman had, had uh, had elevated, what, what would be the prospects for that moving forward, you think, given the uh, um, current state of the, of the new Congress? It's not well, gonna be another 15 since, years, right? Okay. Now, I think, uh, I think the Democrats have, um, have been uh, more positively uh, uh, inclined about these energy savings kinds of bills than, uh, than some of the Republican counterparts. And I think it probably has a pretty good chance of passing. Okay. All right, well, that's good to know. Um, now uh, let's actually, we, our current issue that's out there, it's, on, it's online right now, is our, uh, is our January, February issue, our first uh, issue of 2021. And in there, in our what's new, what's next uh, feature, we had you uh, uh, some comments from you featured in there also of uh, kind of your predictions for 2021 and beyond. I was wondering if you might be able to recap uh, a bit of that for, uh, for our readers. We had, for those of you who want to go online to hpac.com, you can see the full story there. And I think we have a number of, uh, of thought leaders um, and also a number of e uh, a lot of economic uh, numbers and predictions from various uh, forecasting agencies uh, online. But Larry, what, what, what were your thoughts that are expressed in that article? Well, yes, um, I actually began by restating the obvious that 2020 was really dominated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. And um, according to most of the experts, we're still gonna be dealing with this well into 2021 
even with the successful vaccination program. Of course, we have several vaccines out there now, and some still under development. Um, and I know there's a consensus among a lot of the, uh, uh, the experts, the medical experts, that if we can get 75 or 80% of the population vaccinated, that uh, that'll be the end of the pandemic. Um, but I think that going forward, many of those doctors and scientists really believe that uh, the coronavirus will become endemic, much like the flu, and because it mutates, we'll be requiring annual boosters. So I think that many of the changes that we've made in the commercial built environment, like higher efficiency filters in our HVAC systems, will probably become permanent. Um, Unfortunately, from an energy perspective, that's not necessarily good because higher filter efficiencies require more power. And so that decreases the overall energy efficiency of the equipment. I think that's gonna present a real challenge for HVAC manufacturers going forward. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that the whole indoor air quality uh, debates moving forward for downtown offices and schools and whatnot. I guess you're, you think it looks like it's just gonna end up creating a lot more usage of, of equipment, I would think. Well, I know a lot of our clients, um, in, in part because of our recommendations have increased their filtration um, to MERV 13. I think um, places that had newer equipment with the capability could go to HEPA filters. But again, those, those uh, filters do uh, reduce the energy efficiency of the equipment. And um, and I think that's uh, that's going to be an issue. I mean, uh, there's been a big push to make HVAC equipment more and more efficient, and now we're um, in this way going the other way. And that's actually kind of leads to my next question was was about COVID even more broadly. I guess it's certainly the kind of the personal and professional challenge of our our time. Um, how has it affected? I guess your business uh, over the past year. Um, I guess more specifically, just as far as being able to. You know, a lot of folks haven't been able to, to keep the doors open and, and uh, but how do you and how do you feel just in a broader sense out the engineering community, you know, whether it's ASHRAE's epidemic task force and whatnot, how we've managed to uh, how engineers have, have managed to respond to the crisis and and, uh, um, and become part of the solution. Hopefully, well, actually, in terms of our business, Rob, there's been only tangential effects. Um, we're also owners of a general contracting business. And we've seen a lot of delays in getting building permits because many of the uh, city and county employees that, that uh, review those applications and issue those permits um, have been working remotely. And in a lot of cases, uh, the building department offices are still closed to the public. Actually, on one project for a beach resort, the restrictions on guests uh, during the initial lockdown actually helped us because all of the units suddenly became unoccupied, we were able to move through that complex much more quickly than originally planned. So in terms of our business or businesses, um, we've actually had some benefits. I'm almost embarrassed to admit it. In terms of the contributions <laughs> to the engineering community, um, I think that they've tried to get in front of a lot of the technical issues, things like the higher filtration efficiencies uh, air change rates, more outside air, ultraviolet systems, and that sort of thing. But even among ASHRAE members, there are a lot of differing opinions on the best solutions. I, uh, I think that our elected officials should be relying more on the experts in all of the appropriate disciplines, medicine, epidemiology, engineering, economics, 
and less on politics in their decision making. And actually, that that leads on to a question I just I just occurred to me that I know a lot of times you're writing about, uh, and from a global perspective as well. If if people have been following Clark's remarks or a lot of the uh, reports from Asia and. and uh, or Europe or wherever, wherever innovation is happening. I'm wondering if you have thought of uh, or seen anything in the last year that maybe has surprised you or really encouraged you about on the innovation front of, of that's come out of this, uh, this whole crisis. Specifically in regards to dealing with the pandemic, I don't think um, that I've seen a lot of real new emerging technologies or, or particularly uh, new innovations. I think we've explored a lot of things that we already had like filters. I think that uh, UVC has become more popular in HVAC systems. I think we've known for some time that UVC um, is effective in, in, uh, in killing viruses. Um, but I don't think, uh, I don't think we've, we've seen um, as much as we're going to see going forward. I guess well, just finally, Larry, and thanks again for your time, but uh, take a moment, if you would, to talk about one of your latest columns um, that was a little bit different. It's uh, it was a personal tribute uh, to your late friend, Dr. Charles Kybert, uh, engineering professor at, at Florida or in Florida and an inspiring force in the sustainability community. Um, now, as you know, Dr. Kybert sadly and tragically died in a car accident just a few weeks ago. Um, so if you could please tell our audience a little bit more about your friend and and, uh, and his legacy. Yes, thanks, Rob. As I mentioned in my tribute to him, uh, Charles was the Holland professor in the Rinker School of Construction Management at the University of Florida. He was also director of the Powell Center for Construction and Environment there. And appropriately, his office was in Rinker Hall, which was the first of nearly 80 green buildings on the University of Florida campus. And it's a building in which he played a major part in its design and construction. He was widely recognized as a pioneer in the green building movement. He served on the board of directors of the Green Building Initiative, which is the certifying body for Green Globe certifications since 2006. And he had recently been elected its chair. Um, that's how I actually met Charles. It was when I became a, uh, a Green Globes professional. As an educator for more than 30 years, he inspired literally hundreds of students and he mentored many more, including me in the importance of sustainable building principles and construction. Um, I think Vicki Warden, the president of the Green Building Initiative said it best, quote, his passion for the environment and improving buildings infused every sentence and every effort to which he lent his time and expertise he will be short, sorely missed, unquote. And I think that really sums it up. He was, um, he was the senior statesman of the green movement. Well, that's, uh, that, is, that is sad news and I uh, uh, appreciate you talking a bit about him. And the, the green movement of course goes on and hopefully that this year will be a, uh, um, uh, a promising year for, for the green movement itself. Um, now, thanks again for, uh, for your time here, uh, Larry, and, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, and uh, please join us again soon. I think Larry will probably be back as a, uh, a regular guest, hopefully, just as he's a regular columnist for us. Um, but in the meantime, 
Um, if you'd like to read more about the Larry's Clark's remarks, all in one place, uh, you're in luck. We have uh, actually there's two ebooks now, so you can check out check us out online at hpac.com. Uh, there's Sustainable Frontiers, I think one and two volumes uh, on on uh, online, so check those out. And also uh, um, view Larry's column uh, every other week or so on our website. Um, and uh, just also, if, if you would take take a look at our, our website as things more more are changing, this podcast is just part of many new features here that you'll be seeing in 2021. But uh, um, so check us out at our members only portal. Uh, there'll be new market reports there and, and whatnot. And, and uh, also provide feel free to provide feedback and ideas along the way about how we can, can serve everybody better. But Larry, thanks again for, for your time here. And uh, um, I wish you uh, uh, success and luck here through the, uh, through the rest of the winter and the rest of the year. But, but we'll be talking, I'm sure. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. And thanks everybody for joining us for HPAC on the air. Bye-bye.